Welcome to the Something to Gnaw On podcast. I'm your host, Nate Vinio, and this episode is the first of season two and the first in a project I'm calling the Gnaw Initiative, where the methodology of the Something to Gnaw On podcast is a parable-style devotional to both encourage people and to push them to dig into Scripture deeper for themselves. The Gnaw Initiative will focus on giving people the tools to do so. And for those who are more seasoned students of the Bible, well, look at this as a refresher course. This episode is simply an introduction. I'm a creature of habit, and I don't fix things unless they're broken beyond my ability to tolerate them. So I stuck with Android phones for years. That is, until it broke, and I found a great deal on an iPhone. I used to turn up my nose at iPhone snobs, but as of about... 2017, I switched sides. At the same time, I don't think of myself as an iPhone snob because I think I would switch back if this phone broke and I found a great deal on an Android. In that statement is buried a subtle little factoid. I still have the same iPhone 6S Plus right now. Like I said, I'm a creature of habit and I don't fix things unless they're broken beyond my ability to tolerate. That being said, early on I began to tolerate this phone because I found out why it was so cheap. Apple made these phones without removable or replaceable memory cards. So you pay for a phone with a fixed amount of memory with no chance of upgrading memory unless you upload to the blessed cloud or buy a new phone. I got the 6S Plus at such a cheap rate because it had the lowest amount of memory. As a result, For the last six years, I've repeatedly downloaded pictures to the computer or erased apps that haven't been used for a while when I need to install a new app or program. The process gets a bit frustrating, but I tolerate it. I need app A, so I delete app B. But six months down the road, I need app B, so I have to delete app A. Now multiply that situation times about six or seven, and you have a picture of what my phone life is like. On several occasions, I've tried to download apps, and I get the message that my operating system is outdated, and I need to update it. Now, here's the irony. I don't have the necessary space to do the update without deleting more apps and more files. So, while iOS is on update 15.7.9, my phone is still running on 12.5. Anyhow, now, as apps develop, my phone won't even operate some apps, even if I did have the space. Simply put, my phone lacks the necessary operating system and memory necessary to process new content, new programs, and new apps, and I lack the patience or the time to go through the process to pull it off. Toward the end of last season, I mentioned a survey several times that referenced the key to spiritual growth being the reading of the Bible four or more times per week. The puzzling thing about it is that only 25% of people in the church will actually crack open the Bible and read it four times per week. And you can find that part of the survey in the show notes this time as well. This all begs the question of why. If this could change a person's life so drastically, why do people not dig into it? Why do they tolerate the addictions and the strongholds of life when God promised so much more, so much freedom and life abundantly? You might see John 10.10 for that promise. 
Well, either they have a lack of space in terms of time to study or the mental capacity due to the cares of daily life, or they lack the framework, a mental or spiritual mold with which to process and retain the content. They have the same problem I had with my phone. I add something on the front, something has to fall off the back. Sometimes I have no idea what it is until much later, and frankly, it all takes time. Time I don't want to take away from other projects and duties, so we tolerate life without freedom and without abundant living. In very blunt terms, the study said that most people say they don't have the time, or dare I say, the space, for studying their Bible. The focus of this study is twofold. One, to help create a mold, an operating system, if you will, that will help you retain the information you read in the Bible. And two, it will also seek to motivate you to break your schedule, slow down, and actually take the time necessary to study your Bible. You might take a minute after this episode to listen to the episode from Season 1 entitled Tithing Your Time. It could be a bit of an encouragement on this issue. So what is this going to cover? Here's a brief list of the topics I'll be hitting in future episodes. A quick survey of the Old Testament. A quick survey of the New Testament. Conversations on inerrancy and the authority of Scripture. Answering the question, where did this unique book come from? Keep in mind the uniqueness of the Bible in that it has 66 different books by 40 different authors over a 1,500-year period of time, three different languages, dead languages, by the way, and within their pages is a continuity, a streaming message of God's love for mankind. How is it that the writings of all 40 authors over this period of time end up in the same book? And we'll address that in time. What version of the Bible should I read from? And I would add here that I'm going to offload the bulk of this topic to my friends at Life, Faith, and Everything Else. I think it's one of their most popular episodes, but Justin and Tommy do an incredible job at giving the basic understanding of how we get the versions of the Bible. So there's two things going on. How do you get the original books that were written, but how do we get it in our current context or in our current language? And that's what Tommy and Justin are dealing with in that episode. I'll have it in the show notes. But uh, anyhow, so if you've ever wondered what version you should use or avoid or how they even came to be, this is a great starting point. And as always, these guys make a potentially dry subject incredibly fun and enjoyable. You'll enjoy it. Additionally, we're going to look at some different types of Bible studies where some people do a verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter, book-by-book, or if you want to use a deep theological term, expository. Uh, the term preachers use sometimes is expository preaching. Uh, and that's what this is, going verse by verse, looking at each verse and chapter by themselves. Um, additionally, we'll look at doing some character studies like I did in uh, season one with the series on handling conflict, King David style. We'll look at doing some geographical studies, which really get kind of interesting, uh, like studying a place like Jericho or uh, Samaria or Ephesus. When you begin to understand the geographic locations and the cultural background for these places, parts of Scripture will come alive to you. Uh, For instance, with relation to Ephesus, um, 
when you understand Ephesus, there's references in the book of Acts, the book of Ephesians, of course, uh, Corinthians, First uh, and Second Timothy, and then also in Revelations. Notwithstanding the fact that understanding the geographical locations of the other seven churches in Revelation, and if this just goes over your head, I apologize. I'm talking kind of fast now, but the idea being that sometimes understanding Scripture, you need to understand some of the geography of what was going on in that day, and we'll cover that at some point in time here. And just a heads up. Uh, when I go over the Old Testament survey, I'm actually going to use that as an illustration and talk about Samaria and work through that so that your understanding of references to Samaria or Samaritans in the New Testament makes sense. I am talking fast. Maybe slow this down here. Anyhow, uh, additionally, we're going to be looking at doctrinal studies, how you look at uh, basic systematic theology, looking at uh, examples of God's grace, his love through Scripture, his judgment through Scripture, uh, basically where you follow a thread or an idea throughout Scripture. We'll look at overlapping records as well. and this I may handle a little more offhandedly in the Old Testament, but that is to say that we're looking at different records that cover the same period of time or the same events. Like in the New Testament, it would be the Gospels. All four Gospels cover the life of Christ, but they have a different perspective. Uh, in the Old Testament, you've got events that are in the book of Samuel, covered in the book of Kings. You've got um, anyhow, certain events that are covered in multiple books there, you get into Kings and Chronicles, and you have some of those events that are covered in the books of the prophets. So uh, you start using those books together when you do a study, and we'll, it, gives you a, it gives you a much better picture of what's going on. Uh, but there's ways to do that, and we'll talk about that. And uh, yeah, so... Additionally, uh, let me wrap these topics up here. We're going to be looking at uh, questions to ask when you're studying Scripture. What Bible should I use? Is reading an electronic device versus a physical copy of the Bible okay? Um, Common errors. We're going to address common errors that people make when studying Scriptures. We're going to look at rules of interpretation. The big college word here, if you need a good theological word, power word for the day, it's hermeneutics. Um, And if I haven't mentioned anything thus far that you're curious about, please feel free to shoot me an email, uh, and uh, either we can work the topic into another episode, or uh, maybe I'm missing something that really needs to be addressed, so I'd appreciate the emails. Uh, Something to gnaw on at gmail.com. Keep in mind, these may be individual studies, and some may be merged into a single episode. So, with all this in mind, I want to take a look as we wrap up here at Psalm 119, which is pretty unique, especially for what we're discussing. It's the longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses to be exact. And according to David Guzik, it's one of the most poetic psalms in outline form. It has 22 sections in it, with eight verses each. The writer goes through the alphabet, and each section has a corresponding letter from the alphabet. Then in that section, each verse begins with that same letter. The interesting thing to me is that this psalm doesn't revolve around God's might, His holiness, His deliverance, His grace, His love, His justice, His peace, or any other attribute. The central point of this psalm like this podcast, is God's Word. The subject of 171 of the 176 verses is God's Word. 
but he makes up for missing it in those five verses by mentioning God's Word multiple times in some other verses. It refers to God's Word with eight different Hebrew words, but it's all God's Word. References are as followed. He uses the word for law, word. There's two variations of the word for word. It's kind of redundant, but anyhow. The word for judgment, testimonies, commandments, statues, and precepts. And I would add that some words may be represented differently in different translations, like instruction instead of command or statute. And with that as an introduction to the psalm, let me read the section under the Hebrew letter Beth, which are verses 9 through 16, and listen for some of the words I mentioned before, or synonyms, and how the writer uses each of them. Verse 9, How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. 10, I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. 12, I praise you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. 13, I have recited aloud all the regulations you have given us. And I'll take a quick second here to say, look at Joshua 1.8, where he says, Don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Just a quick thought here. The Israelites didn't have a quick reference Bible or a scroll, and dare I say they didn't have an Apple iPhone to pull up their favorite translation. They wrote it down in their own hand. Look at Deuteronomy 6. And they recited and memorized it and sang scriptures to each other. See Deuteronomy 31 and 32. For that matter, look at Paul's take on it in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3. And consider the importance of not just speaking the word, but speaking it poetically and lyrically. Singing helps you remember Scripture better. I remember when I was in 8th or ninth grade, that would be probably 1988 or 89, a musician in our church put Psalm 51 to music. To this day, I have probably memorized and forgotten many verses in the Bible, but I can quote verses 1 through 9 flawlessly. And courtesy of Keith Green, I can quote verses 10 through 13 well. This is all simply to say that there's great power, not only in taking God's Word in, but speaking it out, singing it out, and as verse 13 says here, reciting it out loud. Okay, back to Psalm 119.14. Quote, I have rejoiced in your laws as much as in riches. 15. I will study your commands and reflect on your ways. 16. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your words. Each verse highlights the focus on God's Word or the importance of God's Word. And that's the focus of this project, the foundation of it all. Not that I would only have it, but that those of you listening would dig into God's Word for yourself and look at what God has proclaimed. Look at His teaching. Look at His statutes, His commands, His promises, His testimonies, His judgments, more than four times per week. And in doing so, find yourself living in the freedom and blessing God so richly desires for you to have. But you have got to make time to get into the Word and take the time to delete some of the apps in your head and in your schedule so it can be done. So you can create a mold or a format, if you will, a mental operating system to retain and hold what God has taught in His Word. And dare I say, 
Some of you need to learn to sing Scripture as well. Let me leave you today with one last story that I found in David Guzik's commentary. Matthew Henry, the great 18th century Bible commentator, was introduced to Psalm 119 as a child. His father, Philip Henry, told his children to take one verse of Psalm 119 every morning to meditate on, and thereby go through the entire psalm twice per year. Philip said to his children, quote, That will bring you to be in love with all the rest of scriptures. End quote. Perhaps that practice was why Matthew Henry loved the Bible so much that he wrote commentary that is still used today. And that's what this non-initiative is all about. Encouraging you, like Philip Henry encouraged his kids, to meditate on it, to gnaw on it. That will bring you in love with the rest of Scripture. And dare I add to Mr. Henry that you would come to a place where you would experience the promises of Scripture in a real and personal way, and that you grow spiritually, that you thrive, that you experience freedom in submission to Christ, that you find freedom over strongholds, fruitfulness over barrenness, peace of mind over anxiety and depression and other mental illness, that you find intimacy in Christ instead of the abandonment of the world, that you come to experience God so close that it eclipses the baggage that you bring to the cross. God has so much more for you than you could imagine. The gateway is getting into His Word. That's it for this week, folks. Next week, I'll be diving into the crash course through the Old Testament. It'll be an airplane view of it all. I'm excited for this. I've been working on this for quite a while and haven't seen anybody do it this fast before. A lot of times you see preachers and teachers go through the Bible in a painfully slow manner. That will not be how I'm doing it. I will be taking a fast-paced run through the books of the Bible, giving some key points uh, of each and certainly not going to be a detailed uh, process, but enough that it'll help you hold the rest of Scripture in a more clear and understood context. You can find all the references as well as David Guzik's commentary on Psalm 119 in today's show notes. And in addition to reading the entirety of Psalm 119, I will tell you his commentary is pretty good too. So anyhow, until next week, God bless.